I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then we'll read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Amen. Thank you, Paul Harms. And you can have a seat. And like I said before, it was at a Passover meal uh, that was the last supper, the Thursday night before the crucifixion. It was a Passover meal, and during that Passover, uh, Jesus kind of changed things up a little bit, and he said, hey, uh, took some bread, and you know, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took uh, the third cup, it was four traditional cups, uh, ceremonial cups, and the third cup was the cup of redemption. He took that cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the covenant of my blood for the remission of sins. And we're gonna do that today. And hopefully, did you get one of these uh, communion deals? If you don't, we can pass them out. But I'm just warning you ahead of time. You know, we've never done it this way. And uh, we're not doing it now, but there's like a little piece of cellophane on the top and that's how you get the little wafer off. And then you can pull a whole top off. But just be careful because, you know, it's a little bit hard. And you just might go boom and, you know, you got grape juice all over the pews. So be careful when the time comes. So we bought like a thousand of these. So we'll probably do it this way for maybe two or three months, you know. And then we'll probably go back to the way uh, we've done it before. So that was just a little warning. And, you know, I'm glad we're having communion today because... Uh, it's really a symbol of the cross. And you know, the answer to all the problems in this world, I mean, you can name them, is at the cross. The gospel of Jesus is the answer. It was at the cross that we can be reconciled to God. Our sins can be forgiven. And it's at the cross that we can be reconciled to one another. So I'm glad we're celebrating communion. I'm glad we're remembering the cross. And Jesus said, you know, if I be lifted up, I'm gonna draw all men unto myself. So that's, that's gonna be a great time. And I believe that Jesus is gonna make himself known to us again in the breaking of the bread.
But before that, uh, we're going to talk about these verses. Uh, we're in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and we're going through different uh, people that had faith. Remember, we had Moses' parents last week, and now we got Moses. And, you know, you might want to keep your finger, you know, right there in Hebrews 11, but also we're going to look back at the original story, which uh, I'm going to take bits and pieces from Exodus chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 10. So... Years ago, 80 soldiers were fighting a forest fire, and it's a fire that got out of control, and they were trapped, and it seemed as though the flames had encircled them, and they could not find a way out, and then there was this pilot, an unknown pilot flying a light plane, just swooped, you know, back and forth several times, and then dropped from the cockpit of the airplane three weighted notes. And he dropped them right in the midst of these 80 soldiers and with these notes he gave directions to those men down there on the ground and he showed them how that they could escape because he had seen from above this narrow little channel, this narrow corridor, a flame line corridor through which they could escape. And when they read the notes, they didn't question the pilot's authority at all. They didn't argue with him. They just simply dropped their spades and they dropped their shovels and they dropped their tools and they fled through that corridor, and they were saved because there was a message from above. The only one who could really understand and see the situation. And I want to tell you, with all the stuff going on in the world, there is a message from above. It's the, the revelation that God has given us in his word. And I say, Calvary, we have that kind of a message today in the word of God. If only we would listen, if only we would read it. Moses and all the Hebrew children, they got out of Egypt alive. They were trapped, you know, in that land of bondage. They were trapped by an evil Pharaoh. And it says in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, before we get going, we need to understand that Egypt in the Bible is synonymous with sin. It's kind of a metaphor. Always in Scripture, Egypt is not a good place. Egypt is a picture of the land of bondage. Egypt is a picture of a land of sin, a land of like superstition, of darkness. And Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, I think could represent Satan himself. Pharaoh could represent the devil himself, who tries to keep us in this land of bondage, who tries to keep us in this land of darkness. And God said to Moses, Moses, I've chosen you, I've picked you. And you're gonna be my leader. And you're gonna lead my people out of the land of bondage out of the land of sin to the promised land. And then Moses came to Pharaoh and Moses gave uh, Pharaoh that message from the Lord. Remember what he said? Let my people go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh refused. And Moses and Pharaoh had this head-on collision. Now I believe this is a picture of anybody who wants to get saved. I believe this is a picture of anybody who comes to Christ. I believe this is a picture of anybody who wants to come out of the world, come out of that old life, you know. Now he's gonna obey the commands of God, he's gonna claim the promises of God, he's gonna enjoy the possessions of God, and then the minute he does, I believe he comes into this head-on collision with the devil. Because the devil doesn't want you to be saved. 
The devil doesn't want you to come out of Egypt. He wants to keep you in bondage. And he wants to keep you in that land of darkness. Now, if you've never met the devil before, it's because you and the devil have been going in the same direction. (laughs) You turn around and you start to live for God and you're gonna have a head-on collision with the devil himself. And the devil's gonna throw you some curveballs to get you off balance. He's gonna challenge you to compromise, I think, in at least four different areas. He's got four curveballs for anyone that's trying to get out of Egypt. And today I wanna show you how old Pharaoh, who represents the devil, suggests, I think, four clever compromises to keep the children of Israel from fulfilling their destiny. So here we go. Uh, Curveball number one. I think we could call that the salvation uh, compromise. So you can write that down. Salvation compromise. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. It says, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land of Egypt. Now, what land is he talking about? He's talking about the land of Egypt. And really, what's old Pharaoh saying? Remember now, Egypt represents sin. You know, Pharaoh can represent Satan, I believe. And Pharaoh says to, to Moses, it's okay. You know, if you want to be religious, it's, it's just all right if you want to worship God. It's all right if you want to make sacrifices. But do it right here in Egypt. Don't make a clean break with the world. Don't come out of Egypt. You just stay right here in darkness. Stay right here in the land of slavery. Stay right here in the land of bondage, in the land of compromise. Just worship God right here. I mean, you can take the things of Egypt and you can just you know, refine them a little bit, fix them up a little bit. You can dress Egypt. You can decorate Egypt. Just don't desert Egypt. Now, what does that tell us today? It tells us when God calls us to be saved, the devil comes to us with his first compromise and he says, you know, it's all right to be religious just so long as you stay in Egypt, just so long as there's no real divine change in your life, so long as there's no repentance, so long as there's no new birth, so long as you don't come out of Egypt underneath the blood of the lamb that we're gonna celebrate today in Holy Communion, it's just fine. You just stay here and worship in Egypt. The devil doesn't care if you come to church. Just as long as he can keep you in Egypt. You know, the devil doesn't mind religion. I mean, he just soon send you to hell from the pew as he would from the gutter. I mean, it makes no difference to him. Just as long as you stay in Egypt. Just as so long as you kind of have culture and not Calvary. You know, education, but not regeneration. Like turning over a new leaf, but not taking on a new life. The devil doesn't want you born again. And I think there's millions of people who have simply tacked, can attacked religion onto their lives, but they're still in Egypt. There is no break with the world. There is no blood redemption. There's no deliverance. They're very, very religious, but very, very lost. And I tell you what, religion is a terrible thing if it keeps a man or a woman or a young person from Jesus. <laughs> Remember, it was a religious crowd that crucified Jesus. It was to Nicodemus 
He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the, the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He was not a teacher in Israel. He was the teacher of Israel, a very religious man that Jesus said to this man, Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. What you have, Nicodemus, is not enough. You've got to start all over again from the very beginning. You need a new birth. Your religion doesn't cut it. Now the devil says, I don't mind you being religious. You want to worship God? Go ahead. But just do it right here. In the land of Egypt. And Moses said, oh no, not around here. We're leaving. (laughs) But the devil doesn't give up very easily and he throws Moses another curveball. I mean, if Moses wouldn't take the you know, salvation compromise, Satan tries a different approach, and I just want to call it the separation uh, compromise, and we don't hear this very much in church anymore, you know, it's like, that's like old-time religion, to be separate, you know, we're always trying to identify with the culture. Exodus 8.28, Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord, your God, in the desert, but you must not go very far. And then he says, now pray for me. Pharaoh says to Moses, now pray for me. Yeah. Pharaoh is saying, hey, if you're going, don't go very far. If you're gonna be saved, don't be a fanatic about it. If you wanna be saved, just go ahead and be saved, but... Don't go very far. You just settle over here in the suburbs of sin. Stay real close to Egypt. So anytime you want, you can make kind of an excursion back to Egypt. And just think how easy that will be. And I think there's a lot of folks that want to do this. Sometimes I want to do this. Oh, they want to be saved. They don't want to go to hell. Of course not. But they're not all that interested in heaven either or the kingdom of God. Kind of like the little girl prayed, Lord, make me good, just not too good, just good enough not to get a spanking. And kind of, you know, there's a lot of folks like that, you know. Oh, they just want a little fire insurance. (laughs) I don't want to go to hell. They want to get out of Egypt, all right, because they don't want the judgments that are going to fall on Egypt. They just want to camp right outside of Egypt. And see, God doesn't want us to do that. In fact, John wrote a little letter. He wrote three of them, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 1st John, written to Christian people. And he said to Christian people, chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God wants us to be separate. And it is a message that we don't hear that much anymore. You know, we're in the world. Of course we're in the world. But we're not of the world. That's the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. We've been called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. We're the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. And the Bible says in Exodus eleven seven, the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And the Bible says even in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, come out from among them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing. The problem with many of us is that once we finally get saved, we stay 
so close to Egypt. And we got, all, we got a lot of reasons why. But we become just so worldly. And I would speak for myself. Sometimes folks can't tell whether we're a believer or an Egyptian. We're just camped out in the middle of the suburbs of sin. We call this being a carnal Christian. You know, we call it being a worldly Christian. You know, if Paul Harvey would be alive, he would say, he would have said a worldly Christian. Now that's a strange, remember Paul Harvey? That's a strange. You might as well talk about a heavenly devil. And yet there are folks who are saved, but they're very worldly. And I put myself in that same camp at times. I mean, you have to feel sorry for them. I mean, you talk about somebody who is miserable. It's the person who has come out of Egypt and camped right there in the wilderness. And he's, he, he's got just enough of God to keep him from being happy in the world. <laughs> you know, I can't even sin anymore and enjoy it. And too much of the world to keep him from being happy in Jesus. You know, he's miserable in both halves of his life. He's camping out there in the suburbs of sin. It's like the old farmer. You know, if you sit on the fence for a long time, you know what's going to happen? You're going to split your pants. <laughs> Good question to ask is this. If I was arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Listen to what God says about a worldly Christian or a carnal Christian or what the book of Revelation calls a lukewarm Christian. Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16. I know your deeds, Jesus is talking, that they're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Somebody said this, lukewarmness is doing more harm to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ than all the pornographers, all the bartenders, all the prostitutes, all the addicted people together. It's like we can't reach the goal because we're like stumbling over our own players. Lukewarm Christians are an alibi of the law. Somebody said they're a disgrace to grace. It was G. Campbell Morgan, one of the preachers of the Hebrides revival. He said that lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. To say, I believe you, God, but you don't excite me very much. Oh, I believe you, God, but you don't excite me much. And I think the devil will do all he can do to steal your joy. The devil will do all he can do to get you to settle down in the suburbs of sin, to come out of Egypt without going all the way, all the way to the promised land, all the way to that spirit-filled life. Now, if the devil can't get you with that salvation compromise, and if he can't get you with that separation compromise, I think he's gonna throw another curveball at you, and I just wanna call it the soul-winning compromise. He doesn't give up very easily. And if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 10, Verses 8 to 11, it says, Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who will be going? And Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and our herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. And Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go. And worship the Lord. 
since that's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So what, what was Pharaoh saying? He's saying, well, it's all right for like some of you to go. You know, you big strong men, you can go. You can go out there, but don't take the children out with you. He says, no, I'm, I'm afraid for them. What a liar. He doesn't give a rip about your children. Notice what old Pharaoh is doing. He's trying to keep them from going and taking the entire family. And I think this is Satan's way. I think the Satan hates family religion. We talked about family faith last week with Amran and Jochebed, you know, Moses and Miriam's parents, you know, and I, I really feel that he doesn't really like family faith and if the devil can't keep you uh, from being saved and if the devil can't keep you from coming out of Egypt and going all the way to Canaan, he's gonna try to make you leave somebody behind. And don't we need to learn this? That when Moses left Egypt, he took his loved ones with him. I know we each have to come to our own personal faith, but there's something about family faith. Are you taking your loved ones with you? Is your dad saved? I mean, for real. Is your mom saved? Is your sister saved? Your brother? Are all your children saved? Will they be in heaven with you? I think the Bible puts such an emphasis on family faith. I mean, God said to Noah, go into the ark. You and your whole family. It was Paul and Silas, remember? He said to that Philippian jailer, you know, in Acts chapter 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. You know, it was Joshua standing before the children of Israel, declaring his faith. Joshua uh, chapter 24, we just went over this in men's uh, Bible study on Friday. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, my children are coming with me. My household is going to heaven with me. And Cornelius, I love Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, he was that Italian guy, another Italian guy. God-fearing Italian Gentile, and God wanted to save Cornelius. And God spoke to Cornelius, that Roman centurion soldier, and he said, Cornelius, you send and you get Simon Peter. And Acts eleven fourteen, God tells Cornelius to send for Peter, who will bring a message through which you and your household will be saved. Your household. Have you invited anybody to VBS? The devil doesn't want you to win your family to Jesus Christ. No wonder why the family is under such attack in our culture in this day. The devil doesn't want you to get your children saved or your parents saved or your wife saved or your husband saved and I believe we'd have such a revival that this world has never seen if those who are sitting right here or watching on live stream would get a burden for the lost. Especially those in our own families that don't know Christ. You know why we don't witness for Christ? Because we're camped Right outside of Egypt. It's like we're embarrassed. We're ashamed. 
because Christ hasn't made that big a difference in our lives. I'm not saying we have to be perfect people. Of course not. But we're not walking with Jesus. Notice Moses didn't buy that. He said, we're going. (laughs) We're going all the way. And all of us are going. All of us are going. But notice Pharaoh has one more curveball up his sleeve. And I just want to call it the Lordship Compromise. If you look at Exodus 10, 24, and 25. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your children, even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. And Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. And I think what Pharaoh said was this. You know, well, if you're going... And if you're going all the way, and if all of you are going, well, at least you can leave your material wealth in Egypt. Leave your substance. That's what he's talking about here. Their flocks, their herds, you know, that represents their material wealth. I mean, what a fast one the devil has pulled on so many people. You know, they've gotten saved, and they're fairly committed Christians, except for one thing, that God has never really gotten a hold of their wealth, their money. And you're saying, oh, no, here comes the money pitch. Oh, Dave, what are you doing? You know, the devil is no dummy. He knows that if God doesn't have your treasure, he really doesn't have you. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You know, good old Reverend Vicks down in Stickney, South Dakota. He was a retired pastor. He was an awesome guy. Oh, he, he said once, Dave, sometimes the hardest thing to convert is your pocketbook. Okay, Reverend Vicks. You know, sometimes when you talk about money, which I probably don't do enough, most of you here, I mean, if you're honest, would say, I don't say much about money. By the way, we are taking an offering on the way out of church today. And you can always give online. And so, um, but some may say, you know, I just wish he'd quit talking about money and just preach the Bible. I just wish he'd quit talking about money and just preach the Bible. I want you to know something. If I preached as much about money as there is in the Bible, you'd run me out of town. You would run me out of town. Did you know that one out of every five verses in the four Gospels deals with the right and wrong relationship of humanity to material possessions? Did you know that out of the Lord's 38 parables, 16 out of 38 parables that the Lord Jesus gave dealt with, you know, man's relationship to material things. And I, you know, it's, it's a very sensitive uh, topic. But Moses knew that he could not separate his wealth from his God because God owns it all. I mean, Psalm 50, 10 to 12, listen to this. For every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Listen, God doesn't need your money. God's not going to starve if you don't tithe. God has said, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm not going to tell you. It's all mine. I own it all. You say, well, I earned it. You did? You know, with whose strength? With whose raw materials? With whose brain? 
with whose breath, with whose water, with whose air. The earth is the Lord's. You do not have a thing, not one thing that God did not give you, and it all belongs to God. Every bit of it, and you can't help God out. He's already got it all. And if we would only learn that tithing, if you don't like to tithe and it's just giving according to how God has prospered you, fine. But that giving is not something that we do for God. It's something that God does for us. You know, Malachi 3.10, it's talking about the tithe, but, you know, some people say, well, that's just Old Testament. Fine. Give according to how God prospers you, and if you make more money, just give more. But it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. The only place in the Bible where to test God. And see if I would not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will, present, I will pre- prevent pests from devouring your flocks and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You know, God's tithe is not his way to raise money. He owns it all. God's tithe is his way to bless your heart and to teach you to trust him. And so he says, bring the whole tithe. Prove me, test me, trust me. It's your way to get blessed. Somebody says, do you think the little widow on a pension ought to tithe? I mean, she could hardly make it. Then by all means, she ought to tithe. You say, God doesn't need that money. No. But she needs to give it. And I really believe we can do more with nine-tenths and God as a partner than we can with ten-tenths by ourselves. And we need to learn that. It's just a matter of faith. And whether you think the tithe is for today or just uh, proportional giving, it's symbolic of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get the idea you can give God a tenth and then spend the other nine tenths any way you want. Oh no. It all belongs to God. Everything. I mean the tithe, the tenth is only your indication that you are obeying God. Now some of you are probably tuning me out right now. It'll be over in a minute. Don't worry. You say I'm interested in coming out of Egypt. I just want to keep my cows over there in Egypt just for a little while. Is that okay? I want to say to you that the devil told you that. It belongs to God. And you're never going to know victory in your life. You're never really going to know the blessing that God wants you to have until you get honest uh, with God about your finances. Don't let the devil have your finances. Take it with you. And don't you love what Moses said in Exodus 10, 26? He said, we're not leaving a hoof behind. Not one hoof. We're going. We're going all the way. And we're all going. And everything we have is going to go with us. Every cow, every hide, every horn, and every hoof. We're going and you're not going to stop us, Pharaoh. You're not going to stop me, devil. Now what would happen if we had a generation of Christians who would say that? You know, in this day and age, I mean, what would happen if we got serious and if we got really serious about serving the Lord? I mean, he got serious with us. 
I mean, my goodness, he left heaven and he came and he lived a life that we can't live and he died a death that we cannot die. That's serious business there. And he went all the way to the cross to take upon himself the sins of the world and we can come to him by faith and we can just say that everlasting yes to him. And even as we partake of communion today, you know, it could be a time of recommitment for you and for me and say, you know, Jesus, you gave me everything. You gave me your life. I'm just giving my life back to you. I want to come all the way out of Egypt and I want to go all the way to the promised land. You know, we're going and I want to bring my family and I want to give to you uh, what belongs to you. And so, like I said at the beginning of the service, you know, the answer to racism, the answer to our sin, uh, the answer to everything is Jesus Christ. The answer to everything is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, in Ephesians chapter two, I just want to read this before I pray and we partake of communion and try to open those little, those little communion cups, which is going to be a miracle if we all get that done together. But it says here, um, you know, you talk about two groups of people that were totally polarized. The Jews and the Gentiles. You know, the Jews are calling the Gentiles, you dogs. You know, we're the promised ones. Our father is Abraham. But you're gonna find out both the Jews and the Gentiles needed Jesus. (laughs) They needed to be reconciled to God through the cross and reconciled to one another through the cross. The cross, what we're celebrating today, is the answer to this world. We have the answer. We Christians have the answer. Not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way. We need to offer people Jesus. He's the answer. Okay, Ephesians 2.11. Therefore remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Those Gentiles have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus that we're celebrating today. And it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their, their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and he preached peace to you who were near, that's the Jews, for through him, We both have access to the Father by one spirit. So even though the Jews had all this stuff, the covenants and they they were chosen by God, they still needed Jesus. The Gentiles who were far away, they needed Jesus too. We all need Jesus because the only way to be reconciled to God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the only way really to be reconciled with one another is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come to the table today.
realizing that your innocent blood was shed for each one of us. That Jesus, you died not only for the whole world, or not only for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And we're so grateful, Lord, for this gospel that you have given us, this gospel that sets us free, that this gospel that gets us out of the land of darkness and bondage and sin and superstition that brings us through the wilderness and into the promised land of living a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life, Lord. And we're so grateful that even though you were rich, Jesus, you became poor, that through your poverty we might become rich. We're so grateful, Jesus, that even though you were totally just, you died for the unjust to bring us to God. And we're so grateful, Lord, that even though you didn't know any sin at all, you actually became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so when we partake of the bread today, we remember your body that was broken for us. When we partake of the cup today, we remember your blood that was shed for us. And as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, Lord, inside we're just saying another yes to you. We're just saying yes, Lord. You gave me your body. I'm giving you mine. I'm offering you my life again as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And that is our spiritual act of worship. So consecrate and sanctify these elements that everybody's probably holding in their hand right now. Make for... Make them for us, Lord, your body and your blood. And Jesus, make yourself known to us again in the breaking of the bread. In Jesus' name. If you want to take your cup out, and it's a little tricky, but there's a little film on top. If you want to take that film and pull on it, and it should get you that wafer that's on top there. And... Let's take that out and just hold it. Hold it right here. Do you got it? Yeah, it's a little bit tricky the first time you do it, if you've never done it that way. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, I am the bread of life. You know, whoever believes in me will never die. So let's eat this to your comfort, remembering that his body was broken for us. And then the larger cover, carefully rip that open. A little bit tricky. And then the Bible says in the same way he took the cup and he said, you know, and it was like the Passover meal, so it was the third uh, ceremonial cup of wine and it was the cup of redemption <laughs> and he took that cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant the covenant of my blood for the forgiveness of sins and he invited them to drink it so I'm going to invite you to drink it after this scripture it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. His blood is for you. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And as we're praying, I want the praise band to come. And we're going to sing a couple hymns together. But let's pray the family prayer together.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Before we go, I want to read uh, just a message that God had for Israel uh, when they were in a pagan country in Babylon in captivity. And it's right before the famous verse that everybody knows, you know, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to hurt or to harm you, but to give you hope in a future. Right before that, here's what God says to Israel. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those, all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, pagan country. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in your number and do not decrease. Also, and there's a part that I really want you to hear. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. You guys, the people that I've called as my special people, you're in a pagan country, but I want you to seek the peace and prosperity in the city to which I have carried you into exile. And then it says, pray to the Lord for it. You pray for that city. Pray for that pagan city. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so, you know, I encourage you as people that claim Jesus as your Savior and your carriers of the presence of God, that you would seek the peace and prosperity of our city, of our Red River Valley, of our state of North Dakota, and our nation, okay? And pray, pray, pray for it. And then also, through the power of the Holy Spirit, let's try that second great commandment that Jesus said. Try Asking the Lord to help me to love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, ask him to do that. 